Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 144 with Vanessa Van Edwards of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast, guys. My name's Nathan Chan, and I'm the CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine and also the host of the Founder Podcast. Hope you're all having a wonderful day, evening, afternoon, good night, good morning, wherever you're listening to this podcast. I just want to say thank you so much for your time, attention, and just sharing your earbuds with me. Uh, today's guest, you're in for an absolute treat. Her name's Vanessa Van Edwards, and she's the master of just, I guess you could say, body language, uh, conversations, really understanding people uh, for the most part. And this is an awesome conversation because it's a little bit different. We talk about business a little bit, but we talk about things that I'm not that strong at. You know, um, when I walk into a room and I don't know anybody, it's actually really difficult for me to um, kind of, you know, I, you feel uncomfortable not knowing who to speak to. If you don't know anyone in the room, what do you do? How do you work it? How do you make sure you make the right connections with the right people? And, uh, you know, Vanessa really, really breaks this down. She's broken it down to a science. So very, very interesting podcast. Uh, I think you guys are going to love this one. It's a little bit of a, a change up and uh, there's some real gold here. So... I just wanted to share with you also, we are working on an amazing new initiative. I'm really, really excited uh, for the direction that we're taking the business and uh, we're scaling up premium content. We've surveyed you guys. You've let us know that one of your biggest problems is a lot of you haven't started a business yet 
and we want to solve that problem. You said you wanted to create a physical product-based business the most, so we've found an expert that's going to share with you exactly how to do that. Uh, so to find out more, you can go to foundermag.com forward slash e-commerce. All right, uh, if you are enjoying these episodes, please do take the time to leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify. Helps us more than you can imagine. Also, do make sure you tell your friends. Uh, I know that you must have entrepreneurial friends, other founders that you hang out with, learn from, share stories with. Please do them a favor and pass this uh, podcast along and give them the heads up that uh, there's some good stuff there for them and they they can learn from some of the greatest entrepreneurs of our generation. All right, that's it from me. Now let's jump into the show. So the first question that I ask for everyone that comes on is, is how'd you get your job? Sure, yeah. Um, so I created my job. It was not a real job. At least I was told that in college that I would never be able to do what I do and make a living. Um, and so I, I run a human behavior research lab here in Portland, Oregon. And basically, it's an excuse for me to ask invasively personal questions for my own amusement. And um, I had always read and loved science. I'd read lots of research. I was doing a lot of science journalism before I started um, the Science of People. And I was I wondered, you know, all these researchers spend years and years doing this research, and they publish 20-page papers that get read by, if they're lucky, 100 people. And I wondered, is there a way to make a business out of this science research? Is there a way to turn science into business? And so that is exactly what we do, is I try to turn science into an actual revenue model. Gotcha. And when did you decide this? Like, how long ago? How, how, when did you start the, the Science of People? So I um, started the Science of People in 2012. So it's been about five years. And but before that, I was running passive income businesses. So when I started the Science of People, I was I knew exactly the formula I needed to make it work. I just had to test out the niche. So I've been running my own business for about 11 years since 2007. Gotcha. What were those other businesses? So I, when I was in college, my my parents are both lawyers. Bless their hearts. And um, they, uh, my mom said to me, you know, when I was in college, all I thought about was being a lawyer, a doctor, or an accountant. <laughs> and she said, I want to give you more choices. I don't want you to be beholden to your hours. And so she took me to this money conference and they introduced this concept of passive income. And at the time, I think it was 2004. Three, so the internet was kind of like a newish thing, and so they were talking about vending machines and real estate, and but there was a small little section they had on um, writing, writing books. Um, ebooks was just starting to sort of be a thing. Webinars was just starting to be a thing, and they were like, you know, we think that maybe there's some opportunity in this crazy thing called the internet. You might try it. And, you know, I was a college student at the time and I had, I was one of the first few members on Facebook. My university had just gotten Facebook and I was like, I think there is something to this internet thing. Um, and so I started to create information product websites based on niches that I was really interested in. Like one of them was, um, like a teen parenting website. I was kind of, um, curating information on teens and parenting and selling eBooks and webinars. And I had figured out the model. It worked really well online. Um, and so finally in 2012, I was, I wanted to actually write about something that I really enjoyed, you know, not just information for the sake of information. And I was like, I, 
I love science. I'd been writing for a couple of uh, news outlets. And so I was like, let's give this a shot. Let's see if there's something, there's something about the science of people that people will like. Gotcha. And uh, how did you start? So I um, originally started writing pure pop sci articles. I would take uh, the latest academic research that came out of institutions or peer review journals, turn it into a kind of interesting nugget uh, article, put it in a business format and post it either to my website or, or Huffington Post or Forbes or Inc. or somewhere like that. And that's kind of how I got started. I wanted to see if they, those articles got clicks, if people um, wanted to opt in to get our, I call them hoardables. So uh, a hoardable is you know, kind of like a lead magnet, but it's something that people like to hoard. Uh, psychologically speaking, for some reason, we like to like save PDFs or like we're very just in case. And so I would create these hoardables um, based on, you know, the scientific steps of conversation or um, seven scientifically w- proven steps to increase your influence and create these hoardables and see if people wanted them. And sure enough, people did. And that's when I slowly started thinking about, okay, this topic is interesting. How can I create products that people will pay for around this topic? Yeah, got you. Because I, um, I've i seen you, you and your work uh, for quite some time now. Um, someone in my team put me onto your, your stuff and it, it's, it's really polished, it's really well done. And, um, I just want to to let you know that it, it's 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 very well refined. I think your message and and your niche and and everything you're doing is really really on point. Um, so I'm really curious around uh, just just how all that started. So let's actually talk about the science of people. Even even just speaking to you now, uh, I can I can feel like we're just speaking. There's no not even in webcam. I can feel your energy from the microphone, very warm, very, very friendly. Is that something that you've developed over time or is this you as a naturally as a person or like, what do you teach? Like, how do you help people? What what are the kinds of things that our audience can learn from you that you'd like to share around, I guess, communication, body language. Um, so someone in my team actually purchased your body language course, I think from creative live. So yeah, let's talk about that. And also you've got a new book coming out. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and this is all, this is kind of what anchors our material, um, the book, the courses. And it's the idea that I used to believe, and I was taught, you know, I, I read Dale Carnegie and I read all the people skills books you could possibly read because I joke that I'm a recovering awkward person. Um, and they all kind of had the same message, which is that to be charismatic or to be good with people, you have to be a bubbly extrovert. And I am not a bubbly extrovert. Um, I love talking about science. I love talking about business. So on this podcast, I am like in my element, right? Like this is one of my, I can geek out on this all day long with you, Nathan. But if you were to put me, drop me, airdrop me into a nightclub or a bar or a concert, I would be miserable and not talking and hiding in the bathroom. Really? And so what I realized. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Even like to um, this so day, I, right now, like if you went to a nightclub oh, yeah. or a bar, you you would struggle. Oh, 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 so much. Like I cannot tell you how many birthday parties I've missed because I'm just too afraid to go. Wow. Yeah. Even to this day. Yeah. Yeah. 
even to this day. Yeah. Um, and it's something that I used to be really ashamed of. And now I, I own up to it. You know, I talk about it uh, very publicly because I think that most of us have sort of thrive and survive locations. We don't realize it. We don't think about it that way, but there are areas that we kind of, we need to figure out our own unique brand of charisma. And when you talk about charisma specifically, what research has found, researchers from Harvard Business School found that charisma is a very specific blend of warmth and competence. People who are highly charismatic are seen as very warm and friendly, as well as very highly competent, that they know their stuff, they're very capable. If you are just warm, you're seen as sweet, friendly, kind of naive, not taken too seriously. If you're just competent, you're seen as powerful and capable, but intimidating, hard to talk to, not a good team player. And so that specific blend of both is incredibly important to cultivate. So in your own business or in your own life, you have to think of where are the places where I can both show off my skills, my capability, but also be able to be warm and friendly and engaging. The biggest mistake that I see a lot of business owners make is they feel like they have to pitch, right? They have to do, they have to raise a round of funding. And that is like selling is like their, oh, their worst nightmare, especially like CTOs or really um, technically brilliant people. They're like, oh, I just want to code all day. I don't want to go have to pitch these investors. But they force themselves into a suit. They force themselves out into the junket and they are pitching and they're very capable. They're very competent. They know their stuff, but because they are uncomfortable and they hate it and it feels schmoozy and salesman-y, they are not warm. And so they do not get investment. And so it's really important to either partner yourself with someone who can complement the warmth to your competence or the competence to your warmth, or only select situations where you can be both. I see. So talk to us about the focus of your new book. Yeah. Um, so I always growing up wished that there was a people textbook. <laughs> you know, I, I I was very kind of book smart, very nerdy. I loved the the getting getting a grades. I'm a people pleaser through and through. Um, and so I always never understood why they would teach us chemistry and math formulas and history, but we weren't learning conversation and flirting and selling yourself and elevator pitches, um, which are all the things that you use, I would even say more often in the business world. And so I was like, what if I created that textbook that I always wanted and science-based? So not just someone's opinion. A lot of the, the resources that are out there are written by people who are naturally good with people. The problem with that is if you have someone who's naturally good at people, they A, are very anecdotal. So you don't know if that holds up for everyone or if it just works for them. And B, they often don't know how to teach because they do it naturally. So what I wanted to do was, okay, if I had to start from scratch, if I had to start from the very bottom, how would I reconstruct a conversation? How would I build a blueprint for social interactions? You know, in, in one of my chapters, I, I literally break down a networking event into a map, like a football field. Mm. And I have like exact spots where you move and where you stand. We have a start zone, an end zone, a social zone. Like how would I break the field, like the playing field, if I had to at a networking event or conference? And so it's the textbook that I always wish I had had. <laughs> gotcha. So if you're walking into a room or anywhere you're going, are you thinking strategy around what you should be doing based on your rule book and the science of, of everything you know and research or, or has it been developed naturally? Or I'm, I've always been curious about that. Yeah, I used to. So I, and a lot of my students who've been with me for many years in the beginning, it's very 
purposeful. You know, I walk into a room, I do step one, I do step two, I interact with conversation sparker one, you know, like it was very, very purposeful. Um, that's also the way that I think like I, that, that's, that's kind of how I think about things. Um, and so it was very purposeful as I started to a get really good feedback. So get business cards, um, have really amazing conversations, meet and make friends, uh, after I got married and realized that it works on the deepest of deep levels, I was able to internalize a lot of it. So instead of being just memorized and going through sort of the, 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 the patterns or the steps, now it feels like a much more natural process. So I'll walk into a room and it's, I know where I go from either muscle memory or um, I feel a little bit more fluid with it. And that's what a lot of students tell me is that there's this somehow this phase between going from memorized to internalized, depending on your natural ability. Gotcha. And when it comes to, I guess, one thing, one thing that um, I've learned that's, that's very, very key is networking. You know, I think what, what this is one thing I've learned from my, one of my mentors um, that runs an extremely large company um, out of Australia and US. And, and one thing that he's taught me is that one of the biggest success hacks there is out there like is, is not thinking, how can I do it? But how can I find someone else that's doing what I want to do? That's like 10 X thinking. So it's so key. If you want to rapidly grow your business and rapidly level up as a person to find and learn from very, very smart people and a very, very smart people on your team that have your back, whether they're working in your company or their friends or their advisors or their mentors. So what do you recommend for people wanting to do that, to connect with really, really smart people that might be intimidating or that might be someone that you might have as not, uh, you know, have a might high bar, you know, in, in society, a higher perceived value than yourself? Yeah. I mean, that's a big question. Um, and I think that I would not do it justice if I tried to answer it in a soundbite, but I will say that, um, it's something that I work on a lot. something I thought about a lot. The only way that I was able to build my business was by kind connecting with very big VIPs, um, journalists, media outlets, uh, book publishers. And so that's been a huge part of my business. I will say that the the one thing that drives VIPs crazy, and I know this because of botched attempts, is the worst thing you can ask a VIP, the worst thing you can say is, can I pick your brain? <laughs> pick your brain is a, a statement, a question that should be killed and retired and never used again. Because when you go to someone with a specific question or even a specific request or better yet, a specific offer, like something you are giving, it's so much easier for someone to say yes. The hardest thing that happens to a lot of VIPs and a lot of the VIPs that I work with, and I don't even do coaching anymore. This is just people who are on my personal board of directors. They get bombarded with these really broad, can you help me requests? Can I do an informational interview? Can I prick your brain about something? Can you help me with this? I think that our brands would do really well together. I think that we'd have a lot of synergy. We should we should sit down and chat. Is there ways for us to collaborate? Basically putting the onus on the VIP to come up magically with some way for them to help. So if you are asking or trying to connect with a VIP, the best thing that you can do is have a very, very specific ask or offer. And if you can, start with the offer. Gotcha. Can you give us some behavior hacks, something that people can expect, uh, some, just a bit of a taste that people can expect from your book? 
Oh, that's a, that's a big question. Uh, behavior hacks. Um, so there are 14 behavior hacks in the book. We, um, I love kind of the idea of hacking human behavior or programming for good, programming people. Um, and so um, there are 14 different kind of quick hacks that I like. One of them, actually, I briefly touched on earlier, um, was on this idea of breaking down a networking event into a map. So one of the experiments that we ran at Science People, we partnered with um, local organizations here in Portland. Mm. And I wanted to track super connectors. So I wanted to see if there was a way to leverage what super connectors, people who are naturally good at connecting already do and already know. So what we did is we um, partnered with each of these organizations and we set up cameras in each corner of the room. So we filmed the entire event and everyone who came into the event got a little pre-survey and a post-survey. The pre-survey asked questions like, are you excited to be here? Do you like networking? What's your goal for tonight? We were trying to gauge people who liked networking versus didn't naturally if they did something differently. Then we tracked everyone around the room and we asked them at the end of the night, how many business cards did you get? Did you get, achieve your networking goal? Did you have a good time? And did you make any new business connections to see which people were most effective that evening? And then we also looked at their LinkedIn to see how many connections they had on LinkedIn and if they were employed. What we found was is that there was this very elite group of super connectors, people who both enjoyed networking, were very effective, got a lot of business cards and a lot of business opportunities, were employed in great positions and had a very high worth network on LinkedIn. And they made very distinct patterns around the room. And this is one of the business hacks. The biggest mistake that low connectors that non-super connectors made is they stood in the start zone, the area right when you enter. So like right as you take off your coat or you check in at the main table, um, they stood in that very first early area. What we found is those people had a lot more connections. They actually got a lot of business cards, but they were very, very low quality. The reason for this, we think, as we watched the videos over and over again, is that when people first enter into an event... They have to scope. They have to have a feeling of psychological safety. They want to take a, a kind of look around the room. Do I know anyone here? Where's the host? Where's my drink? Can I put down my coat? I want to get something to eat. I have to go to the bathroom. There's like a certain like checklist that people kind of go through in their head. And if you are have already done all those things and then you walk back to the beginning of the room, you feel like you're getting fresh meat. You know, you feel like you're getting people right as they enter. And, and, and that's a great thing because you're welcoming them. But actually what would happen was is they would briefly talk and the person would kind of be doing a lot of overhead gazing, looking around the room, and they would typically excuse themselves from the conversation very quickly. So the relationship never really fully formed. The super connectors avoided the start zone entirely. They didn't stand anywhere near the entrance. They usually like blew right through it. And they stood in the social zones. The social zone, there's a couple of sweet spots, but my favorite one is right as people exit the bar. So there's this really interesting psychological things that, things that, thing that happens when you're at an event is you stand in line to get a drink. You're purposeful. You have something to do. <laughs> you get your drink and you have this moment where you're about to turn and face the room at large. And in that moment, it's actually like the peak of anxiety for most people, because if you don't know anyone, you know that you're about to have to do a cold approach, which is the worst. If you know people, you're like, oh, like, who am I going to talk to? What should my opener be? Do I remember his name? Do you remember my name? <laughs> right. Um, and so you have this moment where you face the room and you're like, what to do next? The super connectors stood right there and they were in the line of sight from people who turned to face the room. And they almost came in like a social savior. They were like, 
hey, how's the wine? Very, like, very casual opening. And you could see the relief that people had when these super connectors would approach them. It was like, ah, new person. Yay, I did my networking. I have someone to talk to. They did the hard work of the cold approach. I have my drink. I surveyed the room. And they made these really deep connections. So the behavior hack would be to avoid the start zone entirely and always try to stand right where people exit the bar. And what, what other things can people expect from your book in terms of um, – your book's called Captivate, Use Science to Succeed with People, by the way, um, just for everyone listening. Uh, but what other things can people expect? Um, so we – I tried to break down – you know, when I was sitting down to write the book, I was like, how do you begin to organize human behavior? You know, how do you even begin to tackle that? And I thought the most practical thing, way to do it would be to actually f- – follow the flow of a relationship. So most relationships face different levels. And I broke it down. So part one of the book is called the first five minutes. And that's because in every interaction, you have this first impression, which is incredibly important. And you're sort of sussing each other out. And it usually only takes a few seconds or a few minutes to decide if you want to level up with that person. So the first part of the book is all about those first few minutes. How do you ask the right questions in the beginning? What kind of body language do you want to have? What is happening you know, in the room or in those first few, sec- first few minutes? The second part is the first five hours. And this is with both business as well as friends, as well as dating. If you like someone at a bar, you're likely to ask for their number and then go on a few dates. So that's the first five hours. You like a colleague or someone at a networking event in the first few minutes, you get a card, you go out for coffee, or you invite them over to your office, or you you know do a phone call together. Um, so the first five hours are how do you level up the relationship to not just be friends or acquaintances, but actually be partners, colleagues dating. It's those, that, that, those first five meetings, those first five dates, first few hours spending time together. And the last section is on the first five days, which is like, if you're willing to spend five days with someone, you know, it's a serious relationship. It's a partnership. It's um, a deep friendship. It's a bond that you want to keep. And so it's how do you really deepen the level? Like as a leader, we have a chapter and I think number 12 is about empowerment. So it's like, how as a leader, do you keep someone around, you know, for the long term, um, as well as how do you deal with difficult people, um, which is one of the hardest things we have when we know someone for a long period of time, when we know someone for more than a few hours, we typically are going to experience them on their bad day. And it's how do you get through the bad days? How do you deal with difficult people and the four types of difficult people? Um, and then the end of the book is um, how do you keep that engagement for the long term? As, uh, as, as you were talking, I took a whole ton of notes. There was one thing that I was curious about because I know that you're obsessed with with studying human human interactions and people. And you know, when when you meet people, you talked about meeting people for the first time. I'm curious, should you follow your gut always when you're you know you just you you can't help as a human to when you meet somebody whether you get a good feeling about them or not. Should you always follow your gut about that person? Yes. Um, our intuition is incredibly powerful and science has found that there's a lot happening behind that gut impression. We don't realize it consciously, but it happens with pheromones, with chemicals, like one quick example, which I just find fascinating. Um, this was a study that was done, I believe at Stony Brook university. And what they did is they, um, wanted to know if we can, if there's anything to do that's happening beyond our conscious awareness with intuition. So they took a group of people and they had them run on the treadmill and they had them wear while they were running these um, sweat pads to absorb their sweat. 
they took the sweat pads off and then they put them fresh sweat pads on and they had them go up in a plane and skydive. <laughs> so, um, and they had them, they got the sweat pads from those suits when they skydived all first time skydivers. Basically they had these sweat pads that were just pure sweat, hard work running on the treadmill. And they had these sweat pads that were sweaty from fear, right? Like adrenaline, cortisol, jumping out of an airplane. Then they had participants and I feel so bad for these participants, but hopefully they were compensated well. Um, they had participants smell these sweat pads while they were in brain scanners. And what they found was, is that when participants, they had no idea what they were smelling, by the way, when participants smelled the sweat pads from the skydivers, their own fear response activated in the brain. In other words, they could smell the fear and they caught it, which is incredible because they had no idea what they were smelling. They had no idea why they were smelling anything, but they began to feel afraid. This is the first of many studies that indicate that when you have a bad feeling about something or a bad feeling about someone or someone makes you nervous or someone makes you really happy, someone makes you feel really excited, someone makes you feel turned on, it is not just whatever they're saying. We are physiologically picking up on things. And so I think it's very important to honor your intuition because it it's way smarter than we realize. Hmm, I love that. Um, let's talk to let's talk about uh, what we'll have to work towards wrapping up. But if we can talk about a little bit about leadership, I think that'll be really, really helpful to our audience because some people uh, listening right now would be either hiring somebody, uh, have a team of people, or just kind of making that transition from founder to CEO. So how do you deal with difficult people? How do you uh, hire great people um, and and size them up and understand if if they're going to fit your culture, but also someone that you could gel with. And and you know I think when you are going through an interviewing process, uh, people, you know they they they're, they're going to try their best to get the job right, and they're going to you know make themselves sound really good, and they're going to you know appear really good on paper and et cetera et cetera. Yeah. Um, so I went from being a solopreneur to having a core team. We, we, I, once we started really getting our business up and running, we hired a team of five very quickly, which I learned hiring quickly is not always a good thing. They always say hire slowly, fire quickly. That's way better. Um, so I know this more than anyone. And then now we have a team of 114 trainers around the world who teach our science people research around the world. So um, hiring and building a team and building culture is incredibly important. And I think that there's a lot of um, ways to leverage this, but the easiest one is what's called resource theory. So resource theory, it was developed by a social social psychologist, Dr. Uriel Foa. And he basically argues that all of our interactions are transactions. And we are always, while we're interacting, looking for different resources. Um, And there are six different resources. They're different. If you've heard of the love languages, they're actually quite different than the love languages. That's about appreciation. This is about fulfillment. This is about why we are in interactions. So the resources are love, service, status, money, goods and information. And I have this in uh, chapter, I think nine of my book, Um, but it's real easy to get this if you're just listening. Um, What you want to think about with each and every team member, especially your, your colleagues, is what is their primary resource? What is their primary value language? It is not always what you think. Money is what everyone assumes everyone else wants, but actually in business it is often not money. I'll give you a really specific example. 
So one of my employees, um, I, she's awesome. She's in charge of all of our um, community management stuff, a lot of our social media and our content calendar. And she was doing a really, really good job. And so I was like, you know, I really want to reward her. I'm going to, I'm going to give her a bonus at the end of the year. And then I'm going to try to give her a raise next year. So I, with great fanfare, tell her I'm going to give you a bonus. Yay. And she was like, Oh, great. Thanks. And I was like, no, a bonus, a bonus, <laughs> like this bonus. And like, I had worked, you know, in the budget to, to get this for her. And she was like, oh, okay, thank you. And I'm like, okay. You know, six months later, it's, I, I was like ready to give her a raise. I bring her in. I say, you know, I've been so grateful for your work and I'm going to give you a raise. And she was like, oh, that's lovely. Thank you. I'm like, what, what is going on? And I realized I was talking to her about, you know, how do you feel about that? Are you happy with the science of people? Tell me about your work. What are your highlights of your days working with us? What is your favorite thing to work on? And I realized that I thought she was wanting the resource of money. I thought that was her resource language, but actually her resource language is status. So for her responsibility, praise, titles, public recognition, is far more valuable for her than anything else. So I had given her a raise without a title increase. My mm. bad. She was feeling really, really bad about not being listed on the website. My bad, right? <laughs> Immediately when I figured this out, I was like, we're getting a team page or it's a public team page. Everyone's photo is going up. Everyone's title is going up. You are getting a title increase. What title would you like? And I started realizing that the public praise, like doing it in our team meetings, publicly praising her on social media, which it was a pleasure and so much easier than a raise to do that. And, and I was like, why didn't I see this before? So thinking about how do you give resources, the right resources to your employees is one of the most important lessons I think we can learn as, as leaders. Yeah, that's gold. Awesome. Well, look, um, we have to work towards wrapping up. So Last question, Vanessa, then that would be well, two last questions. The, the first one is when it comes to building a successful business, uh, what's your best piece of advice? And then the last place is where's the best place people can find more about you and your work? Sure. Um, so I love talking about business. Um, I, I, it's one of my, cause I don't get to talk about business a lot, um, on, in my brand. So it's always fun talking about it here. Um, the biggest thing I would recommend, and this is one I learned the hard way. So I hope that by sharing this, I saved, I spare some people, um, is one is make sure that you have dream killers and dream killers are really, really valuable people. There are people in your life. I'm sure you already have them. They're the ones who always default to no. They're very good at poking holes in ideas. They don't ever believe everything, anything is going to work. They're incredibly skeptical. As entrepreneurs, <laughs> as founders, we know who those people are in our life because they've typically made us feel terrible about ourselves and our business. Mm. But I actually think that they can be incredibly useful for the right things. In fact, I know exactly who my dream killers are and I know exactly when to go to them. I go to them for that resource. I will go to them to poke holes in ideas that I'm working on. I will go to them and say, dream kill this for me. Like, what, what am I not seeing? Like, what are all the things that I should worry about or prepare for? And making sure that I only go to them during those times. Not going to the dream killers when I'm in brainstorm mode, when I'm in creativity mode, when I'm dreaming, when I'm trying to create. I know to studiously avoid coffees with those people when I'm in that mode. And controversially, who are your dream builders? Who are the people who will probably never say a bad thing? They might even be more yes people. They're like, oh yeah, and you could do this and you could do this and you could try this. 
Those people are very helpful during the creative brainstorming process, but they are not always helpful in the doing building process. So know who your dream killers and your dream builders are and leverage them appropriately. Mm, that's that's interesting. And with your dream killers, do you, are they people that you think should be on your team or just uh, kind of friends or? Uh, it's totally up to you. It depends on the kind of business you have. If you're lucky enough to have a big enough team where you can have a dream killer on your team, but they're not involved in every meeting, I think it's okay. But it's very hard to have a dream killer on your team who's there for every meeting because they will constantly <laughs> be dream killing ideas. That is the definition of a bad apple. Right? Yes. That is what, where that comes from. <laughs> gotcha. Awesome. And the best place people can find out more about yourself, uh, your work, signs of people, and also your latest book? Yeah. So everything is on the scienceofpeople.com. That's our lab landing page. You can play in our lab, do a couple of our experiments, check out some of our, our manifestos. And then of course, uh, Captivate is wherever books are sold. Awesome. And uh, I know you also had uh, a special bonus for our audience as well. Yeah. So if you um, check out the book right now, we have uh, the lost chapter. So we actually have a hidden 15th hack um, that did not make it into the book because we thought it would be a really good kind of special extra. So if you go check it out, you can go to scienceofpeople.com slash podcast. Uh, you can check out the book and then also the hidden chapter. Awesome. Well, look, uh, thank you so much for your time, Vanessa. I really appreciate it. It was a great conversation. I learned a lot. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.